Jose Bautista, one for three with a walk tonight. Bautista hits it high and deep to left. Gardner at the wall. Goodbye, home run. Jose Bautista. <laughs> So, no, we don't have the drop yet. The drop? Yeah, the drop we talked about making for when we are in a... Oh, fluid situation. That's right. You know, this is not the week for this. I was in the hospital for a couple days. Um, I was in the hospital for a couple days. Nothing big, nothing our listeners need to uh, feel bad for me about. Just a little flare-up, part of being a Crohn's patient. No big deal, I was in and out. But when going in, one thing I thought of, honestly, in the back of my mind was, well, everything for the podcast this week is very sad. Yeah. Weeks ago, we had plans. Yeah, I got a text from you that definitely said something along those lines, too. Yeah, I mean, weeks ago, we had definite plans. And look, at I've been promoting it because we've had definite plans, so there's no reason to hide the fact that Ian Rappaport was supposed to be on the show today. Right. And he's not. And the, I was... Promoting Ian being on the show because I was told that we had time with Ian this week. And I want to 100% say that there is almost no way in my mind that A, Ian ever knew, or B, Ian knows that it took Tuesday at 3.30 was about when I found out that (laughs) we wouldn't have time with him this week. He has been on before. This would have been his fifth time. Yep. And I've been told now that we have him in two weeks, but I know that we won't promote that beyond what I just said. Hopefully he will be on in two weeks, but we'll see. We'll see. So we do have Molly Knight today and I'm really excited about that interview. Partially I'm excited because we're going to solve the uh, mystery that's been on my mind for all of a long time. Who the hell is Lana? Do you ever see this figure on Twitter named Lana Berry? And she's this girl. Her name is at Lana, which I always thought was cool because she was able to get at Lana. L-A-N-A? Yeah. And I... I had seen tweets and stuff about her, and then one night I was watching Raw, and I tweeted about how hot the WWE's Lana looked, and I got – my tweet was then sort of out of context taken into a – like then added to her. Okay. Like someone saying, oh, they must be talking about you to this Lana Berry person, and then I looked, and she had like 150,000 followers, and – Clearly talked about sports, but I could not figure out who she is. Well, she's roommates with Molly Knight. Really? Yeah. So maybe we'll find out who Lana Berry is. Yeah, I, I, I mean, know. mostly I want to find out about this book, but um, that would maybe be an interesting thing. Uh, we're going to obviously replace uh, Ian with I, I want to go with something football. We, we floated some ideas. Uh, Don and I, we have some emails out. It's still early on Tuesday. This is probably not going to go up till Thursday. Last week's didn't anyway. Uh, so I don't feel particularly rushed to get it up. Uh, Thursday will be fine, and we'll find something uh, to replace it without a problem as far as that goes. Um, so I'm home, out of the hospital. The show is half booked. I'm confident we'll get the other half. So we may as well start Season 5, Episode 25, August 12, 2015. Uh, I mentioned uh, Molly Knight's going to be on the show last week. 
uh, was a fluid situation as well. And what Don and I decided in the end was we had Brian Alvarez from the WrestlingObserver.com, which uh, Dave Meltzer made the most respected voice outside of the horse's mouth, right? Like if someone says something is happening in wrestling and Meltzer is the one who said it, it's the same as Vince saying it. Like okay. That's his reputation. Gotcha. Um, and he his his site, The Observer, uh, joined with this other one, Figure Four Online, which was Brian Alvarez's, and he is actually nice enough to take 35 minutes out of his vacation in Alaska, which if I would have known he was on vacation in Alaska, I probably wouldn't have even felt right about asking. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't find that out until after uh, to join us. And then also we played an interview with Blake J. Harris that we did in June as part of our Book Club Book of the Year. We'll talk more about that later. Um, anyway, we're going to do an interview with Molly Knight. We're going to do an interview with whoever was kind enough to come on because Ian couldn't. We're going to update the book club, and right now we're going to do three things. Let's play a game. All right. On the count of three. One. All righty. I'll kick it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. All right. So, while I was in the hospital on Sunday, one thing that I did to keep a little busy was watch a little bit of the Hall of Fame game, which was not that cool. No, that's not surprising. Uh, Look, I've always felt for the teams that are put in the position to play that because, I guess because of money, they still feel the need to do all four of the other ones. And there's nothing worse than losing players that matter in these games. And we've talked a lot the last couple of years since the lockout about how destructive these things are. You know, because I think one thing that we noticed, and we don't have data to back it up, but we've talked about how maybe one of the maybe unanticipated uh, effects of all the rule changes out of the lockout was that maybe there was a little bit more injury in preseason. The way that they limit pads and then there's oh, games. And, yeah. You know, it seems maybe. like maybe the last few years. We don't have data for that, but no, we, we've right. talked about the possibility. And we talk about it usually when someone who matters gets hurt, which is maybe a silly way to do it. Yeah. Um, and last week we talked about Arian Foster being injured. Uh, and this week brings another big name in Geno Smith. If I was a Jets fan... And I went to Twitter to find out that my quarterback was going to miss six to ten weeks because someone I didn't know punched him in the face and broke his jaw, whether it was a sucker punch right. or a regular fight. Man, would I be upset. Yeah, that red jersey should apply in the locker room probably, too. You don't punch the quarterback. No. And I guess you said that you thought the guy's been cut. Oh, I, I wasn't sure. I oh, okay. just said, like, how fast – if this if we don't know this guy's name, how fast does he get cut? Like. I don't know. I mean, what, what 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 could you do worse than him? I'm operating the computer today, so and I'm going to try to bounce around on, on stuff on ESPN. But they have videos that play. So if one, if I don't get the pause one before I'm it plays, college, but also like that, <laughs> I apologize. Now this one, just, I hit pause and it just won't even pause. Um, but yeah, he fractured. He's got two fractures in his jaw. 
The linebacker's name, I can barely pronounce it. It's I.K. Anankapali. I don't know you. I don't know enough Six-round pick in 2014, and he was immediately released. Yep. So. Oops. Yeah. Uh, Todd Bowles, the new Jets coach, uh, says that it has nothing to do with football. It was very childish. He got cold cut, cold cocked, sucker punched, whatever you want to call oh, wow. it, in the jaw. He's got a broken jaw, a fractured jaw. Wow. Now, I know they, uh, the old thing is keep the courts out of sports, but and I'm sure this guy is nothing. I mean, if he's a sixth rounder, he probably doesn't have much of a bonus. I mean, he's going to probably struggle to even find a practice squad at this point. I think being kicked out's enough. Yeah. I mean, that's just my opinion. I, and I think that's fine, too, like from a league or team perspective. But if I'm Geno Smith and now some kid comes in and steals my job. Uh, I was going to say it's up to Geno. Yeah. You know, if he wants to pursue this more in a legal sense, I'm okay with my that, My guess too. is he doesn't either. But he probably but that doesn't. Was my, that was my thought. I, uh, I thought of... Uh, Luckily for them, the kid coming in is Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is A, not oh, a kid, and B, right. probably not going to steal anyone's job. Not for long. No. Right. right. So... My first thought was the uh, Steve Moore. Is that the guy's name that yeah. got hit? Mm-hmm. His, his argument. But, yeah, I don't think that'll be the case. Yeah, so there was that, which is just – I hate – I'm not a guy who says it's the this team being that team or that team being this team. But, man, that's pretty so just, just, right? Yeah. You know, um, Cam Newton was also involved in something. Um, and he's defending his role in a scuffle. Uh, he says he regrets it. That's my computer. Again, I'm sorry about my computer. <laughs> yeah, that's my fault. Noises. My fault. I left mine at home. Um, Cam Newton is defending his role in a scuffle with teammate Josh Norman that put the star quarterback at risk of unnecessarily getting injured, uh, which was clearly illustrated by today's news that that's yeah, possible. No um, Newton says, I have no regrets of the things that I've done. Well, it's good to hear he's grown up. Um, it's been whispered about franchise quarterback doing this or doing that. What's the blueprint of the franchise quarterback leading your team? I'm not going to let anyone dictate how I play. Uh, what? Now, was that actually a reference to you fighting? Yeah, I guess I don't. I don't know the details behind this fight. I mean, if he's getting into a fight where they're throwing punches like helmets off, then he's got an issue. Uh, oh, and that's what it is. I mean, if you look at like the pictures of it. Oh, that yeah that that is that goes beyond. Yeah, look at because my thought was was it the Saints that they had the scuffle with. Oh, yeah. Was it the Saints they had to scuffle with uh, in an end zone last year? Newton got involved. And, like, that I can see as a little bit, like, if you're a Panthers fan, you might not want to see your quarterback in fights, but at least you see, like, oh, he just wants it. He's back sticking up for a teammate or whatever. He's he's engaged. I don't want to see my quarterback with a helmet off throwing punches against teammates in the preseason. More like, nonsense from Newton. Quote, you've never seen a guy in a red jersey like me. You're not going to shape or form me into what you want me to be. I'm here for my teammates. Bro, if you're there for your teammates, put your helmet on. (laughs) Respect the fact that they give you a red jersey for a reason. And don't be fighting with Gussie Norman or whatever his name is. I I actually think Cam Newton's a guy I, I want to try to like but he cares too much about what people think of him like way too much like all everything he's saying is these weird vague uh i gotta be me type like just go out there and play football and win games this is his fifth year in the league yeah uh thomas davis a linebacker who is a leader on the team you know yelled at him said it was stupid and 
Newton was again defiant. Defiant, excuse me, saying, quote, do what again? Practice hard? Yes. I practice hard yeah, each and every day. Just, no, there's a difference. Yeah. And look it, I'm going to later in my one last thing get on you slightly about the your feelings on Brady and yeah. how being a Bills fan um, maybe dictates that a bit. And I'm fully acknowledging before I do that that my feelings on Newton may be dictated a bit by him being a member of the team in your division, in my division, right, right. a rival. But I have always said that when you look at Breeze and you look at Newton, they are very different in terms of their skill sets, right? One is a freak physically. One is very normal looking. Right. You know, one uses his legs. Uh, the other one uses his tiptoes just to see right. above the line. Right. Uh, but the one thing you want them to have in common is leadership. Mm-hmm. And Cam Newton always fails the body language test. Yep. Always. And I don't think I'm being a Saints uh, homer by saying that. Oh, no. He gets blasted for that, too. I don't think he should care that he gets blasted for it, though, either. I mean, he he shouldn't be the way he is. He shouldn't sulk. Uh, all that. I mean, people get on Brady a little bit, but I don't mind that he screams in players' faces because, I mean, he's one of the best ever. He should demand accountability and all that. Peyton's kind of the same way, uh, but they've earned it. I mean, Newton really hasn't earned it yet. I mean, if you, that's not leadership sulking by yourself with a towel on your head. or It's your fifth, league in, fifth year in the league, bro. It's time to grow up, man. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, he's a guy he's got I want to like. Right. But he makes, and he's he makes unique. it tough. He's a unique He's a unique guy. There's not a lot of Cam Newtons. They don't necessarily breed him like him at that position. And uh, he was the first overall pick for a reason. Yep. Uh, but I still don't can't think of a playoff game they've won with him. I know they've been in one that they lost to Seattle. Oh, no, they beat Arizona to oh, get okay. to that Seattle game. Right. So he's got at least that one. But they had the benefit of playing, what, the third, third. string QB on Arizona? Yeah. I don't know. One last quarterback thing. We didn't get into it much. Uh, this week or last week, and this is not where I'm going to get into your thoughts on it, but uh, the judge who's in charge of this Brady NFL thing now is really pressuring them to settle. And this should have been all along. All along, that appeal shouldn't have been about Roger Goodell trying to prove how big his dick is. It should have been about Roger Goodell saying, this happened, we had this investigation, it resulted in this. The player isn't accepting this, but he probably would accept two games. Let's have it two games, and let's close the door on the NFL fighting with one of its most majestic stars of the last 15 years. It's embarrassing, and I think a federal judge realizes that too and really doesn't want to be involved. Um, He asked Brady and Goodell to, quote, engage in further good faith settlement efforts. Um and that was a, a day before I guess they're going to be due in court. And maybe by the time you hear this, they've made it to court. But at this point on Tuesday when we talk, uh, they want them to get a settlement. Just cut it in half. you know. And if Brady is over there saying, you know, um, that's not acceptable, I didn't do anything, well, he's wrong. Right. And if Goodell is saying, I'm not going to cut it in half, he's wrong. I mean, just get to that. Would you feel that way if he didn't oversee the appeal? You know, I have so many issues with the way that this commissioner well, that's what I was going to say. Power. If you're going to call out my 
fan, and I like Brady way more than most Bills fans do. I don't have a problem if he got reduced to zero games. But, I mean, you have a clear bias against Goodell from Spygate. And that might be true. Or, or Bountygate. That might be true. Um, I would say I've been consistent in shitting on every scandal yes. and the way he's handled no, that, it. that is true. The ones that came before Bountygate and, and it, after. And it doesn't make any sense that he handled the appeal of something he ruled on. That well, doesn't make any sense. Don, none of this makes sense. First of all, they they hire an independent commission, right? And then they pay the guy $3 million in billable hours to do it. Are you really getting – I know someone's got to pay him, right? Someone's got to write the check. Nobody's going to come in. But He's got to find something? Is that the I argument? Mean, I think that the NFLPA and the NFL need to tr- find someone and maybe split that investigation or something. Is, is Wells really going to be impartial to the Patriots when Roger Goodell is the guy signing the check for $3 million in billable hours? No, maybe not. My, hours. My argue- Hold on, let me finish, okay. though. So then there's that part of it, which I don't like, right? Then they get a a uh, appeal. They get a, a, a verdict based on that, and it's appealed. Mm-hmm. And they're asked, please don't review it yourself. Truly let someone else cover the appeal, right? They say no. Okay, right. Right? Goodell's going to handle the appeal. Right. And Goodell... And that's ridiculous. And Goodell comes back with what you would expect. Well, of course... I'm not wrong. Right. This is the suspension. And he kind of bases it on this idea that Brady won't let him see his phone. And, bro, I've, I I fucked up when we first start, started talking about this because – and it's been proven since. Brady would have to be an idiot to hand over his phone. Okay? Just since that happened, we've seen transcripts from interviews that were never supposed to leak. leak. We have seen – um. What the interview transcripts, the um, uh, a few different uh, emails uh, from the case leak. Tom Brady dates a supermodel. Maybe he's got nude pictures on his <laughs> right. phone of her. Maybe he's got pictures of his girlfriend. I'm not saying he has one, right, right, but maybe right. of her on his phone. You're going to trust your phone to them? They don't have subpoena power for a phone. Right. And when you look at the the questions, he answered all the questions. They didn't need to see the phone. You know, that, that's ridiculous. Um there's no way he should be handing over his phone, and it does not incriminate him uh, to not turn it over. And the NFL worked overtime to make sure it looked like him not turning over the phone made him look incriminating. Right. And then, and then to top it, since then they've proven his point over and over uh, with with leak after leak. Right. No, I, I mean the phone thing is odd. I mean it was the one piece of evidence he could have used. I, I'm not saying he had to turn it over necessarily. I. I I don't know about that part, but to me, it's the type of thing where it's like, okay, Brady did this. They have texts from a guy he calls the deflator. Uh, so- See, I, I, I don't, I don't think it's as clear cut as that. That quote unquote Brady did this. That that if if we're using the standard of Brady did this beyond a reasonable doubt in a court, they don't have anything that would hold up. Yeah, but they're not going to court, right? But I mean, I I think that. You're just saying bluntly Brady did this, but I don't know. Your proof is that. No, but I mean, I mean, OJ was innocent too. Then by, I mean, by that standard, I mean, OJ was found innocent. Okay. Well, what standard are we going to use for this? That's going to result in us. So we're going to talk about saying, this more in a second. I'm just saying you just logically. Are, you're just 100% sure that Brady did this. I, so I like think it's his words saying over and over that absolutely I did not do it. Doesn't mean as much to you as the fact that. He texts with someone that he calls the deflator. He doesn't call the deflator, 
but that is called the deflator. His text with this guy is not, hey, deflator, did you deflate? It's, hey, what's going on here? Okay. Because then why did Goodell him- uses that, that, hey, these guys haven't talked in months, and then all of a sudden they talk the day after this as like a strike against Brady. Right. When reality to me, it's, they haven't talked because there's been no need to. They don't interact. But and the reason they talk the day after it breaks is because Brady wants to know what the hell happened. If they didn't have, if they didn't have, uh, if those guys weren't doing anything wrong or Brady didn't have any knowledge, then why fire those guys? Those, well, I think those they guys got, were immediately they got fired. fired out of pressure. Yeah, maybe. I just think, I mean, if it came to a court of law type uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. Maybe they wouldn't have it. I just think more likely than not, Brady knew. I mean, quarterbacks have come forward and said they know. More, more likely than not, it's just not good enough for me. It's just not. I, I don't know what I want the the burden of proof to be. I'm not even sure who the burden of proof should be on. If it's the league, I, I tend to think it's the league to prove he did it as opposed to Brady to prove he didn't. Because, again, this is only a story because like another team who lost to him cried and said, hey, maybe you should check it out. And then there's the whole Mortensen angle, which I didn't know as much about last time we talked about, where the NFL is like actively leaking false information about this case out there. Right. And I just don't understand why. Why are they going no, after I, Tom Brady? I, think the I don't NFL, get it. I think, well, I mean, I guess that would be something I would say in defense of it is what would they have to gain by going after Tom Brady? I, I don't understand why they would intentionally. Well, it's almost like this got out and then like this Goodell is just so power crazy. I think the NFL handles things horribly. I still think it's more likely than not that they knew what they were doing gave them some sort of advantage. There's no This isn't the first time they've there's been no, accused of cheating. There's no proof that he did it, but there's no like grand proof that he didn't either. I I have no problem acknowledging right. that. There's no smoking gun, but there's no whatever the opposite of a smoking gun is. Right. There's no thing out there that's like, okay, of course he didn't do it now. But what there is out there is like the NFL constantly trying to make it look more and more like absolutely they have the proof. Right. Like and trying to frame Brady and Brady's defenses and Brady's which the only, is proven that he does the only smash his phones. That that wasn't a, a lie. The only axe I can see that they have to grind with the Patriots is just this is what the third time now they've been accused of cheating. Well, in then some you know what you deal way. with that organizationally, right? You know, but that's his buddy, and 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 not anymore probably because it sure does seem like when they had that fake hug right. around owner meetings time, and he was willing to accept that incredibly harsh punishment that they gave the team. It was under the guise that Brady was going to be treated fairly, and he was not treated fairly. I yet. would have been fine with that too, and I it really has nothing to do with my Bills fandom. If he would have gotten suspended for zero games. I would have been all right with it. I mean, I think the punishment they took was harsh. A quarter of the season and comparing it to PED use, something that you have unreasonable doubt proof when it happens right. is not fair. Um, we'll talk sort of about that, but not really in my one last thing later. Okay. Let's move on. This is tough. I don't. Yeah. We're gonna dance around this a bit, but it'd be that, irris- that's the stage we should be in anyway. It, it'd be irresponsible enough to not mention that one of the biggest stories in the sports world this week, and of course in Buffalo, is the fact that there is an investigation by the Hamburg Police Department. Hamburg is just a southern suburb of Buffalo mm-hmm. um, regarding Pat Kane, and uh, essentially that's the official information that exists. The Hamburg Police Department. 
is investigating Patrick Kane. I don't think that they've even said what for, have they officially? I don't know that the Hamburg Police Department has, but I know that they said the accuser uh I don't I don't know what how you'd word it, but like had a rape kit administered in a hospital. Now Hamburg police didn't say that, did they? I don't know. I think about that, that is information from our friend Tim Graham, who has sort of been in the forefront of reporting this, especially initially. I think Tim was the first one. Uh, and by the way, congratulations to Tim Graham for being in Best American Sports Writing, by the way. He's been fucking yeah, he, awesome. He's been really good with the story, too. Um, I think he's been fair. Yeah. People from Chicago and people who just blindly want to defend Kane. Yeah, are not happy with Are him. not happy with him. But I thought he's been fair. Um, I just think he's presented the information he has. And I don't think he's provided it with prejudice. No. Um, no, people I said, think he's got an axe to I said this to you. The unfortunate thing about fame sometimes is that because someone's famous, especially if you're the accused, you get dragged through the mud long before right. you really have it. Before they've even charged him, right? Uh, the police have not even said, yes, we think there's enough evidence to charge Pat Kane of this. Mm-hmm. And yet, of course, there's many judgments have been made about Pat Kane yet. Right. If he wasn't famous, no one would know. No one would make those judgments. And then eventually, if charges were filed, you'd learn. And then it's been very unfortunate for the alleged victim. And the Buffalo News printed some just quotes, I guess, from people. Apparently, this happened downtown at Sky Bar. Right. That's where they met. And again, now the initial report said it happened in an Evans bar. So that's oh really again why you have to be careful with things like this. And now the reporter or the quotes from the owner of the Sky Bar were referring to a girl that they don't even know if is the same girl, right? Because they don't release accuser information as they shouldn't, right? So it um, rape is a tough one because it is the one crime that people will blame the victim for you know what i mean if someone was murdered in this case no one would be like why did the murdered guy do this but there is a reason for that and there can be i mean there's a kid what was the the reason that that exists is because people have been falsely been falsely accused and i'm not saying that that this person did that I but, but that's that's the flip side of what you said you're seeing about Kane. You're seeing people blaming Kane already. There are people coming out of the woodworks that said this girl and the saw reason that people signs. and by the way the reason that people are blaming Kane is because there's been plenty of athletes or famous people who probably have gotten away with this kind of a thing because of their status and that right. really bothers people and I don't blame them and unequivocally as we sit on Tuesday. At 5.30, I have no idea if Pat Kane sexually assaulted a girl. Right. And I have no idea if he didn't. Right. If he did, he absolutely deserves to be prosecuted to whatever level of law applies to whatever it is they find him guilty of. Yep. And if he didn't, I don't exactly know what the opposite of that is. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know if that means then we go and attack the accuser. I don't really think that. Um, that's the tough part about you know I don't know what the opposite of that is I know that if he did it he deserves the punishment that comes for it this is not uh, that's the tough thing about rape too is this is a there's no winning in this outcome it's not like oh we we stopped this criminal and now every I mean if it turns out 
he did what he was accused of doing, then that girl is still going to get blasted by a certain segment of sports. And those people are going to be wrong. Right. For sure. Those people are going to have to take a long look at themselves and why they're trying to protect someone who's raped someone who could have been their sister or their mother or whatever. And if it's found that he's innocent, uh, then it almost doesn't matter because people are going to just assume he wrote a paycheck. Yeah, that he's check. just another guy who but, had this status, yeah. and that's what's unfortunate about the whole thing. So there's just there's no good outcome. And here. that's about all I think I want to say about it. Yeah. I don't think there's a whole else lot that we can go no, here. I know we're waffling because I don't want to. But, I don't right. want to. I just don't want to wildly speculate. Right. I just don't think it's fair. There's probably people either better, of them better at talking about this too. That, I mean, it's just it's a t- it's a real tough area it's a it's a tightrope talking about stuff like this so three quickly the blue jays swept the yankees this weekend yeah we talked about at that at yankee stadium yep. and as we stand now they're one and a half games behind the yankees and it is on yep that is going to be one hell of a race um and i would not be surprised if the blue jays win this division by six games right my baseball knowledge is you know? well well documented on this show um from everything i hear the Yankees are kind of a surprise good team this Joe year. Joe Girardi is absolutely the front runner for manager of the year right now, in my opinion. And Toronto is a much more talented team. And Toronto is a team who has made two incredible improvements at the deadline, while okay. the Yankees made none. So when we talked, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, about how Toronto is whatever they were three games back, but they had ten games against the Yankees. Right. It seemed like. Okay, well then Toronto's probably going to win that division. I mean, yeah, I mean Toronto's won the last eight, and the Yankees have lost the last three. Yeah, I've heard they lost you know, one Toronto, game since the trade deadline. Toronto is nine and one in the last ten. The Yankees are four and six. They made a significant, significant uh, dent in that. The problem is, is maybe it doesn't matter, right? Because maybe, regardless, one of them's going to win the division and one One's of them's not. The but you know, there's nothing fun about having to play that one game playoff. No, to to like get into a real series. Yep. So it, it does matter, I guess. But we played the Batista home run in game one. Uh, game one of the series, uh, Donaldson hit a home run, one nothing. Teixeira hit a home run to tie 1-1. And then in the 10th, um, Batista hit a home run, and uh, the Yankee, or, and the uh, Blue Jays held on. It's cool the, to see how, how badly Toronto fans clearly have been waiting for this. Yeah, and they're... We talked about the 40,000 people there last. Yeah, uh, yep. yeah, really cool. And as it stands right now, I'm not going to make Don guess it, but in the American <laughs> League, uh, Houston has a one-game lead. In the West, Kansas City has a 12-game lead. Kansas City's winning the uh, Central, folks. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, by a long margin. Uh, and they're probably going to be the one seed. They're 67-44. and 44. Uh, The next highest is 61. So they have a pretty pretty Jeez. big gap yeah. there. Um, and then in the National League, the Mets are still hanging on against the Nats and playing well, 8-2 and two in the last 10. Uh, St. Louis, um, if we thought the Royals were playing well, St. Louis is 71 and 40. St. Louis is 40 and 16 at home. Wow. That's weird for baseball. Like baseball, like you're one of the best teams in the league if you win like six out of 10 games. There's seven games above 500 on the road, which is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, the Astros, by the way, are 23. Why is that in baseball? I get it if you're in like Coors Field and it's so different. I don't know. Yeah, that's a weird one. Um, the Pirates, 65 wins, still lead like the first wild card. And the Dodgers are ahead of the uh, the Giants right now in the West. But All right. The music ended a long time ago because it's shorter on my computer. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't loop as long. 
as Don's, and I didn't catch it to back it up before it ended, so I said, forget it. That's right. Maybe we don't need it playing behind this grim rape talk, yeah. anyway. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Our first guest, we're going to do the book club, and we're going to talk to Molly Knight, and Don and I will be back later with one last thing. All right, our next guest is from East Grand Rapids, Michigan, and is a graduate of the University of Michigan. Uh, he has worked as an NFL editor, blogger, and associate producer for Fan House, but today he lives in Ann Arbor, where he is a featured NFL blogger for SportsIllustrated.com. He's making his 12th appearance on the podcast today. Warren Sportscasters, welcome. It's Chris Burke. What's going on, Chris? Hey, it's number twelve. I got. Do I get a prize or something? Send me a Tom Brady. In the mail Tom Brady jersey. <laughs> nice. Yep, I'll yep. take it. Yeah, then next year or next time, number thirteen, we will get you a. Uh, I can't think of a thirteen jersey. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, what Josh McCown? Yes, yes, it is Josh <laughs> McCown. Josh McCown you, you nailed it. Yep, we have a pile of uh, Josh McCown thirteens for our thirteen guests. <laughs> That would be really cool if we had, you know, like currently our budget is six dollars. If we had a higher, bu- <laughs> if we had a higher budget, it'd be really cool to, uh, to give that out. That'd be that'd be fun. But no, we don't have that budget. Hey, uh, last time you were on, it was draft time, and um, man, I- I've always said since you've been on over these twelve times that you just you're one of my favorite draft guys out of nowhere. You weren't really a draft guy at first kind of taking that on for SI and built up. Now, I know only a few rookies have even played a game, a preseason game, uh, and camps are still very young. But all the information you had going into draft and drafting, uh, what has been interesting to you about the rookies so far uh, early here in camp and even earlier into games? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's sort of interesting to see it. I guess this is the trend and, and a necessity, really. But even looking at the first week of preseason here, uh, there are going to be a lot of rookies playing pretty heavy minutes from the looks of it. So we'll have to see how that goes. I mean, it's it's hit or miss right now. People try to read into, you know, the first week of preseason. But uh, I, I don't know how much you can do that. I mean, I'm trying to catch up on some of the games. I was at the... Uh, Lions-Jets game on Thursday, so I got a good look at Amir Abdullah, who looks I loved anyway going into the into the draft. Tom at camp, he looked like the real deal. Certainly didn't disappoint in his first game action. Um, I mean, catching up now in Washington, Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland using Cam Irving kind of all over the place. They had him at tackle, gave him a few snaps elsewhere. I, I mean, I think we're going to see a ton of rookies get big playing time. Obviously, we're kind of waiting on Mariota Winston to see if either of those guys can turn those teams around. I I have doubts that Mariota can do it, given the talent around him this year. But uh, Tampa Bay could be pretty good. I mean, I'd like to see Amari Cooper, too, and see some of these wide receivers. That's really the position, I think, that uh, if things have changed dramatically, the expectations for players as rookies, I think that's probably the position over the last few years that the expectations have just shot through the roof. And 
again with this class. I think, you know, people just waiting on these rookies, not just to step in and be good players, but, you know, to be number one receivers out of the gate, which is pretty tough. Yeah, and we haven't had a chance to see Parker or uh, White yet. Um, and right. Do you think that that and, – and you're totally right about the expectations for a rookie receiver. I mean, in last year's class, blew it absolutely through the roof uh, with the way the rookies – the depth of it, that the high-end guys, the I mean, just blew it out of the water. But despite that, do you think the guys losing reps early here, is that going to really hurt – does that really hurt at a position like wide receiver? Yeah, I mean, Odell Beckham Jr. obviously missed a bunch of time in camp last year and then missed missed the start of the season and had a huge year, but I think he's the exception to the rule. It's it's going to be pretty tough, and I think especially, you know, you talk, about, you talk about White, I mean, that's an offense that uh, a lot of what they have done with Jay Cutler and what Adam Gates is going to try to do there is just based on sort of that you know, the guy letting Cutler kind of turn it loose when he's comfortable with the guy, which is why I think I keep mentioning Eddie Royal as someone I think is going to have a big year because Cutler's got uh, a built-in comfort zone with him there. And so to not have White on the field, I mean, they they keep saying they think he'll step right in and be fine. It, it's it's definitely tough. I mean, they're, when you have the type of talent that those guys have, and uh, especially someone like White who you can just – can throw the ball to and expect him to go get it a little bit, that you're going to have some big plays. But, yeah, I mean, it's a setback. And, it, unfortunately, it's happened uh, several guys now. You know, you mentioned Parker and White. Rashad Perriman's been banged up in Baltimore. Um, you know, we're kind of waiting to see uh, some of these guys. And uh, it just the longer it takes them to get in the lineup, the longer you have to sort of uh, – push the timeline back to, to wait on their production. So uh, it, I'm sure it's frustrating. If you spend a first-round pick on a receiver, you want him to be in the lineup week one as a starter. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you pick that impact guy because you want to see an impact. You mentioned Abdullah, and I actually I checked it out last night. I was like, I got to see – I got to do a <laughs> mock draft real quick because I want to see – uh, you know what's? I think he's ninety on ESPN in the mock draft room, and um, I think he was like the second pick in the fifth round. If you were hoping that that was going to be a kind of quiet guy you could sneak in, that's just not going to happen. And you're close to that uh, in Ann Arbor, and I mentioned being at the game. Uh, what is kind of uh, what was the plan going in? Do you think it's changed? Um, Joyke Bell is still a, a player there. Um, is everyone maybe a, is it kind of getting to a point where he's just not going to be able to uh, reach the hyper expectations, but not because he won't have a good year? You know, like is it getting almost too crazy? I mean, I think from a fantasy perspective, it's certainly getting too crazy because right. you mentioned Bell. They're still counting on. I mean. I think they still want Joyke Bell to be sort of, I guess, their number one running back. I mean, I think they want him to be their starter so they can use Abdullah uh, as kind of a change of pace guy, as someone that they don't, you know, you don't want him necessarily getting 25, 30 touches a game, I don't think. So um, I, I think they still want Joyke Bell to be in the mix. They started Theo Riddick uh, in their preseason opener. I mean, I think he's someone that will probably seem to do more 
Uh, pass catching, you know, they split him out in the slot last year. So I think eventually it's going to be Bell and Abdullah. But, you know, you're talking about a, a guy that's probably going to be splitting carries in a pretty pass-heavy offense. So, um, I, I, like I said, I think the, the from a fantasy perspective, we're sort of getting to his peak. Um, I mean, in terms of what he can bring to that team, I don't think there's any question that it's, it's going to be huge for them if he can stay healthy and can play the way that he played in college because that's really what they wanted Reggie Bush to do is what they're asking him to do. You know, he's Mm -hmm. that sort of guy who can create in space and even seeing him just in that opener against the Jets, I mean, he can cut on a dime, he can accelerate to the second level. He doesn't have uh, probably Bush's breakaway speed, but in terms of, being an all-around back, he's what they wanted when they picked up Reggie Bush, and Bush was never healthy, so we never really got a good feel for how the offense there would work with, you know, Bush in the lineup all the time with the Bush to like Bell combination. It was always sort of mix and match. So um, we'll see. I mean, I think he's got a chance to be really good. And Joy Bell, I don't know, will be around for that much longer. Detroit his contract's up after this year. I mean, he's a Solid back, certainly for them. He ran for almost 900 yards last year, um, but he's—I don't know that he's anything special necessarily. You know, I thought a really interesting thing from yesterday. Uh, there's been talk all uh, camp so far about how upset the Browns have been with the way the running backs came into camp. Uh, Crowell and, and West kind of not happy with the shape they're in. They got banged up right away, soft tissue issues, all that. You know, I think Manziel was the leading rusher uh, last night. Not that they leaned on anyone for 20 carries or anything, but certainly an interesting situation there and maybe a place where the door is cracked slightly for Ray Rice to wedge his way in. What do you think about uh, the Browns and the possibility of Rice ending up there and the feeling around their running back situation? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely frustrated right now. Um, and I, I think that that's why you're, I mean, one of the reasons at least that you're hearing Ray Rice's name come up, uh, they have some exper- experience with him as a coaching staff. I mean, Mike Petton was around him for a little bit. Wilbur Montgomery, the running backs coach now for uh, Cleveland, was the Ravens running back coach from uh, 2008, I think, until couple years ago, so he obviously was there with Rice, so they know sort of what they'd be getting in him. I mean, I think that you mentioned the disappointment with the guys that are coming back. I think the real frustration for them is that Duke Johnson's been banged up through the preseason. We haven't really seen him because he's been dealing with a hamstring injury. Right. I think he was a guy who had, and still has if he can get healthy, a chance to come in and, and be the starter there. Um, and they haven't really have had a chance to see him. You said Crowell West have been disappointing. So anytime you get into kind of mid-August and you're still figuring out what's happening at running back, I think that that opens the door for uh, a veteran to come in and kind of seeing the same thing around the league now with a few teams calling Chris Johnson. Uh, You know, just someone that you know sort of what you're getting. And uh, it's a little tougher in Rice's case because I don't necessarily – I'm not sure we do know what they're getting. You know, he wasn't great the last time we saw him. He was kind of banged up. He was sluggish as a, a running back. He didn't uh, 
do a whole lot outside of, you know, he caught a lot more passes, I think. I think that's really where his value lies now is as a pass catcher and a blocker. But um, I think it's a possibility that he gets in there, sure. If you had to put money on it, you think he has a carry in the NFL this year? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. he does. I mean, uh, it's tough to say for sure because, he, you know, not only because of what went on off the field, and obviously you open yourself up to that situation if you sign him, and even if it's kind of gone by the wayside now because it's been such a long time, I think you're going to have to deal with it for at least a week or two if you bring him in. But uh, Also because he's a running back who's got a lot of touches under his belt. I mean, he, he's got yeah, a, lot, uh, of a lot of wear and tear, and he's up there in age. I mean, I think just generally we see teams shy away from running backs that are kind of in that that bracket. And like you said, there are other options. I mean, people have uh, dipped their toes in the Chris Johnson and Pierre Thomas waters as well. Although I yeah, know- Pierre Thomas, I can't believe he's not on a team. Seems like it's kind of on him. It seems like he's only going to do it for a certain price. Seemed like that's what happened with Houston. Was that your interpretation that they offered yeah, a deal? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe got like a, a better and minimum type deal, and he wants something more guaranteed. Which uh, I can understand from his point of view, and but it's it's tough when you get to this point to ask for too much, I guess. So. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm just surprised more teams haven't kick the tires there, I guess. I, I think he was, uh, I mean, and you, you're obviously familiar with him having watched the Saints. Yeah, I mean, I've seen every play he's ever had in, in the NFL. He's a, he's a really, quali- I mean, he's a quality NFL back. I mean, he's a reliable guy that you can throw on the backfield on all three downs. Great locker room guy, and nobody runs a screen pass better than him I, I that I've seen. You know, like, just his feel for, for catching the ball out of the backfield on a screen and turning a uh, busted screen into a 20-yard, oh, man, he's so good at that. But, yeah, he's a guy that I would, you know, I, I'm, I'm surprised, too, he's not on a team. But I, I've sort of heard that maybe he he want, maybe he doesn't want to be as much as we might think he would be. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is – if he wasn't totally comfortable with the situation in Houston, I guess it's not a – surprised to see him wait at this point because there are going to be there always are a handful of teams after preseason you know week one week two of the preseason that gonna need a guy either yeah. because of performance or injury need a close to a starting running back so uh and cleveland like you mentioned is one of them but there will be others and cleveland's interesting too because obviously uh josh mccowan seems to have the track as a starting qb there uh, but Manziel looked a little bit more professional last night, uh, if that's the right word. Uh, maybe you want to talk about that particular battle. Maybe it doesn't interest you. But what are some some uh, camp battles that are interesting, if not that one, to you? Yeah, I mean, I think that one's interesting because I guess it depends on what the Browns are trying to do this year. Um, I, I don't think... Yeah, it's tough because I think that they should be better than last year, but they're also on paper pretty clearly the fourth best team in a really good division. Yeah. So that's tough. Do you want to go with McCown and try to be, uh, you know, kind of play it safe and try to be competitive early, or do you want to just turn it loose with Manziel and see what you've gotten? I mean, I think uh, their opener 
three, having just watched it, uh, I mean, I think that was sort of what you want to see. You want to see McCown with a, a good feel for the offense and just be that guy who doesn't commit turnovers, can move you down the field, and then see the progression from Johnny Manziel over last year. You mentioned being more professional. I think it's, it's that and also just showing more uh, comfort as an NFL quarterback, you know, being able to make some of those reads and, and get out of the pocket but not necessarily in a panicky sort of way like he can tend to do. So uh, for one game, I think that was a good start for them. I think their goal probably is to have McCown start while Manziel can ease himself back in. Um I mean, the most interesting quarterback situation, I think, for me is um, now that Geno Smith's on the sideline is the one kind of up in your neck of the woods there in Buffalo. Um, Because I think that's pretty close to a playoff team just about everywhere else but quarterback. So what do they do do there with uh, Castle, Tyrod Taylor, EJ Manuel? I don't... I mean, I think it's anyone's guess at this point. And it's not going sure. good, Chris. It is not going good. I mean, you, <laughs> you wait you wait every day to hear just something positive out of that. And instead it's like, oh, E.J. Manuel, um, you know, threw a five-yard out and it went to the hospitality tent. Or, you know, uh, Matt Castle just, he's fine, but he can't complete anything down the field really. You know, and then Taylor is kind of a guy that Taylor's a guy that I think fans here have kind of taken to a little bit because they don't know enough about him to not want him yet. If that yeah, I mean, I think he's the wild card, though. Yeah. I think Buffalo's coaching staff seems to like him, but uh, it, it is tough to get a read on him. I mean, he's very—he's an athletic guy. Um, so you could just kind of get out of the pocket and make some plays. We haven't seen a ton from him as an NFL passer. I don't think he's ever going to be great. I mean, he kind of is cut from almost the Colin Kaepernick mold where, you know, you're probably going to get your best plays with his feet. Uh, and occasionally you'll hit a big pass, but he's also going to have some pretty bad decisions. So, uh, and, and for what it's worth, I mean, Baltimore almost, got rid of him as its backup on multiple occasions because they were so frustrated with his play in training camp and things like that. So uh, you're certainly not, it's certainly not a sure thing to go to him. I mean, the fact that that's even on the table, I think is a, is a pretty glaring indictment right. of where EJ Manuel is at this point. Um, and I think we know what Matt Castle is. Uh, I think if they go with Castle, it's, it's uh in an effort to kind of replicate what Rex Ryan did those couple of years he took the Jets to the AFC Championship game with Mark Sanchez. I mean, you just want a guy who, you pick the guy that will turn the ball over the least and try to win with your run game and your defense, which is not a terrible approach given what they have. Um, it's a little disappointing uh, to think about that having to be how they play it given that you know, they've moved up for Sammy Watkins, and they have Charles Clay now, and they have Robert Woods, and LaShawn McCoy can catch passes. I mean, they have enough guys that you should be able to put together a pretty decent passing attack, but they're missing that one key element. Yeah, and Sammy Watkins is so talented. It's a shame to think that there isn't a guy that can at least get him the field, get him the ball down the field uh, consistently. Because that's the thing, like, even if you, even if they had a quarterback who... 
was a, a decent deep ball guy, but maybe fell short on a lot of other things. They might prefer that, but they don't have that at all. They just have a bunch of guys who, um, it just I don't know. It just doesn't seem like they can get the ball on the field very well. It's gonna. I, I, I would assume it'll be Castle, but he has by by no means taken it by the by the horns and run with it though at this point. Yeah, and I mean I think that's why Taylor is interesting to them because you may not necessarily have a great NFL quarterback, but I think you can be more creative with the offense if it's him. Um, and so you can sort of, you know, use some of the read option stuff and roll the pocket and kind of create those touches for Watkins um, outside of just the normal route tree. So, you know, I don't know if that is enough to get him the job. It seems to me that they're headed towards uh, a situation where we see more than one guy starting before the halfway point of the season. Um, I, I just can't imagine right now any of those three guys taking this job and running with it for 16 games on it. Uh, again, on a team that thinks it can make the playoffs, I mean, I just can't see one of those guys being a 10 or 11 win quarterback. So you try and uh, mix and match a little bit and figure out if you can get some 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 games out of Castle and maybe get Tyrod Taylor out of the field for a few snaps and see if he can just change the uh, sort of change the look again. Uh, we've seen Rex do that before too. That was the whole reason they brought in uh, Tebow and brought in Vic and all those things with the Jets uh, because they didn't have one option, so they tried to almost piece together a legitimate quarterback from two or three parts. Last year at this time, the guy who would play the most games for them wasn't even on the team yet. Is there anything like that this year? Is there anyone like a Kyle Orton hiding in the weeds? Or is this they're going to have to make do with what they have, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I probably it's probably going to have to make do with what they have. There's always the opportunity if they really want to go out and try to find someone that, I mean, you could probably could trade for. I mean, how long has Kirk Cousins been on the trading block? Right. Uh, you probably could go get uh, someone like that, um, but I, I guess the question is: Are any of those guys going to be upgrades over what you have? I'm not sure that they necessarily are. I mean, we saw what happened uh, with Houston last year. Tried to do that, you know, wait and then go trade for someone and end up with you know Case Keenum and Ryan Mallett and no real answer still at quarterback. I, I don't think you're going to find a a great quarterback in mid-August. So, um, but again, I mean, if if they are ready to give up on Manuel and uh, Castle's that bad and Tyrod Taylor's not your starter, and then you got to do something. <laughs> so it wouldn't if, it, if there is a team that would pull a trade for a quarterback. That's probably got to be the one at the top of the list. The sportscaster here with Chris Burke from Sports Illustrated. He's at. Chris, B-U-R-K-E underscore S-I on Twitter. The Audible's blog on SI.com. What's going on at Audible's? What are you guys working on uh, between now and uh, opening day? Uh, Well, we uh, got all our division previews coming up in the next week or two here. Um, Actually, just hired a new editor, uh, which is pretty exciting. Melissa Jacobs um, has been running the Football Girl website, is now our new NFL editor. Really excited to have her on. We're sort of relaunching all our podcasts in the next uh, couple of weeks here. So Doug and I do the 
NFL one. We're also going to have a draft podcast once college football season rolls around. So uh, pretty exciting. A lot of stuff on, on our plates. It should be hopefully a lot of content people want to keep coming back for. It's been uh, – Doug and I, I think, are still still uh, kind of hammering out, <laughs> even after all this time together, exactly you know our perfect roles. Uh, but I think we're we're getting closer, getting better as a site. So hopefully, it shows in the product. Yeah, and uh, SI in general is sort of committing a little bit more to podcasts and launching the uh, the podcast network now. I yeah. saw the first ad for it. So, and you guys have done a really good job with the podcast that you have so far, and that'll be good to add a draft one too. I think that's uh, sort of an untapped uh, space. People will come in and out around draft time, but I think that that's somewhere where you can kind of be the draft podcast. I don't think the one exists just yet, in my opinion. Yeah, that that was kind of the pitch. I mean, I think the NFL Network guys have started to put together some, and a few do kind of pop up in February, March. But I think that there's I think there's enough crossover, too, to kind of loop in, um, you know, just a week-by-week look at college football to some extent. And, yeah, there is it is sort of an untapped market, I think. So hopefully that works to our advantage and we can uh, people go nuts anytime there's any draft stuff posted on our site but i'm sure it's the same across any site that's true even in august and september so uh hopefully that that works to pays off when we get this draft podcast going which we're going to try and do in the next trying to get it rolling in the next couple weeks here once we get uh all the x's and o's figured out uh one last thing we'll let you go on this Mariota and Winston, they haven't played yet. Their their debuts, they're going to make them probably by the time people hear this. But uh, what have you been hearing about those two guys so far, and what are your expectations, or uh, what are you looking to learn about them during preseason as they uh, both, I assume, will be starters there week one? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been mostly positive at both ends. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay's been pretty happy with Winston's preparation and, and how he's played, and I think Tennessee's been surprised to some extent by how well Mariota's adjusted to playing in their offense and and being the number one guy. And uh, it, you know, it's sort of funny to go back. It seems to always happen. People kind of freak out about these players. Oh, are they going to be able to adjust? Are they going to be ready? And then they get in the NFL, and a lot of them are uh, further along than we tend to give them credit for. So, I mean, the big thing about Mariota so far has been. People keep harping on how he hasn't thrown any interceptions in training camp. I don't know how much that's so weird. You really, really take from that. I mean, it's just, like you said, kind of before we got going. Uh, sometimes it helps to fail in the preseason. So I think that you know, I don't know that Tennessee's necessarily rooting for him to take a couple sacks or fumble the ball, or throw a pick, but it, it might be good for him in that learning process. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a work in progress for both guys. I think they'll have some good moments. I think they'll have some bad moments. And again, uh, yeah, people are going to jump all over what their stats are week one of the preseason. But uh, it's more important to sort of see how they react to facing another defense, react to when they, things don't go well. I, I think both are going to be pretty good NFL quarterbacks in the long run. Oh, did you uh, did you watch Hard Knocks? Uh, I have not watched it yet. How was it? I liked it. Um... It was definitely, you could tell that they were ready to make it the J.J. Watt show. 
You know, <laughs> right. it's very much sort of centered around him, which is not a bad thing. I don't think. Um, yeah, he's an interesting. People have. Uh, he, I don't know. It, it sort of in the last few months, I guess people are either really love him or are just totally annoyed with catching him being yeah. so visible. Yeah, no, it seemed to really be about him uh, quite a bit. They covered the Foster injury a little bit. Uh, the coach is a great swearer. I mean, he <laughs> swears. Uh, it's got to be every four words on this, sh- and I'm not exaggerating. I mean, he's a great swearer. Uh, there's a cool part early where he's quizzing the rookies on, like, who the owner is, who the president is, and they're just kind of out of it. It's kind of like, we do not know this coach. Um, I thought that that was pretty interesting. Um, it's always a little disappointing when it's about a team who doesn't leave their facility. But, I mean, what, there's only like eight of those left, right, that don't travel for camp? Um, yeah. Because they're yeah. just, they're right, I mean, they're right there on the, practically in the stadium. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's cool. And it, uh, it was a 40% higher rating than the debut last year, which... I mean, just goes to prove that the Falcons are hideous, but, um, yeah, no, it's not bad. I, I like hard, I'm a hard knocks. I, I like watching it. So I'm an easy, I'm an easy sell, but yeah, I think, uh, it's the JJ Watt season for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting team. It is. That's a, that's a good point you make about them not going somewhere. It's totally different dynamic. It is. Being yeah. a team outside there you know, usual facility and, and when they get out of those, whatever they may be, college campuses or wherever they happen to have their stuff, it's it's such a, it, it really is almost like spring training for baseball. It's just so different, the whole environment. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's, that's too bad that that's kind of fading from the league. You know, uh, it's such a great, I mean, the Saints are one that they're going. They've been in West Virginia for a few weeks, but then they'll go right back to their their facility after those couple of weeks. Um, the Bills they go away, uh, but just uh, to the Rochester area. What the Cowboys go away? Still right? Do they still go to California? I think they do. Uh, I'm almost yeah. positive they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. You know, but I was thinking of like the Chiefs, the Chiefs season when they went to um, somewhere in Wisconsin. Uh, for theirs and just the charm of that and watching the guys and how they fit in the dorms and all that. Um, it's a disappointing element to miss uh, from the show, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I read there's only eight eight teams or so that still travel for camp that don't do it at their facility. So sort of yeah, they're, they're having more of the like, uh, team versus team practices. Yeah, and they went on one right away. Too, and they had mm-hmm. the, the Redskins one with the, te- the Texans. Those are always... Yeah, that was like their. Uh, those are really more valuable than preseason games in a lot of ways. And that was like their fourth practice. Like they did that like right away. It's like wow, mm. got out there quick. All right, it's Chris. at Chris B U R K E underscore S I on Twitter. Uh, the Audible's blog at si dot com. Anything else you want to mention? Uh, no, that's good. The Brady jersey the, is in the, the mail. Fantasy magazine. Yeah, it's it's good too. I love that. It's one of my favorites. Uh, it's it's uh, got that awesome distinct cover, kind of looks like a football, um, and yeah, that's a I like that. That's a good magazine. Nice glossy pages. Um, they put you together for those. Those are eight eight nine bucks. Those magazines, not just that size, all of them. Those are yeah. pricey, pricey magazines. Uh-huh. But I'm surprised. <laughs> they I'm surprised they haven't died. 
I thought they might. The one year when the lockout happened and they didn't get out really in time, I thought, oh, that might be the death of the fantasy magazine, but I'm glad it's not. I still enjoy them. Yeah, I think people still like, there's some specific times people still like having the, you know, kind of the paper copy to mm-hmm. play around with. I think that's one of them. Absolutely. All right, Chris. Thanks. Uh, thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me again. All right. Want to thank the illustrious first guest for being on the show again this week. <laughs> it's always great to have a first guest. We appreciate that. Uh, book club. Uh, obviously, last year we put to bed the mystery of what would be the book club book of the year. And again, congratulations to Blake J. Harris and uh, his book, Console Wars. And you know, we tease about things like this. And obviously, we picked Console Wars because we liked it a lot. And that's the reason we picked all, all the book club books of the year, because we liked it a lot. And because... We always wanted to give it to someone somewhat accessible and be able to do something with them. Right. And it's easy for us to kind of joke about it, but Blake sent me a really nice email, and I'll read some of it, actually. He said, Steve, thank you so much. This really means a lot. I'm still working on getting my mom to actually read the book. My grandma did love it. So hopefully this will be what finally puts her over the top. He's kind of referencing a joke I made that after he reads this email, he's going to rush to the phone to call his mother. Right, yeah. Um, But seriously, that's so cool, especially to be in the company with Jack McCollum's Dream Team book, which he uh, still keeps by the side of his bed. He goes on to say he really loved uh, his two appearances on the show, and he's excited to uh, be on again and again. So it's cool to make a friend like that, sort of, too. Yeah. Especially in a world other than sports. Right. You know, and um, I should know this, and we've probably discussed it. Is this his first book? Yeah. Okay. So, congratulations to Blake J. Harris and Console Wars, which uh, is now the fourth winner of the Book Club Book of the Year to go along with Sweetness, Dream Team, The Squared Circle, and now Console Wars. Uh, and last week's podcast, of course, includes our most recent interview from June with Blake. Made sense. It just made sense to replay that last year, uh, last week. Yeah. So you can find that uh, on our podcast last week, or you can dig back to the one in June. Also, this month, one last time, the secret of golf, the story of Tom Watson and Jack Nicholas by Joe Piznanski. We've went over the last few weeks uh, what particularly interested us about this book, uh, the story about his previous books, and. All that, and you can go again to our website, www.sports-casters.com, and find out more uh, about our interview with Joe from a few weeks ago. It was a good one. In just a minute, we're going to take a break, and we're going to bring in Molly Knight, the author of The Best Team Money Can Buy, The Los Angeles Dodgers' Wild Struggle to Build a Baseball Powerhouse, probably the clubhouse leader right now for Book Club Book of the Year for next year. Obviously, with this being the first month, it would be between that and the golf book. Right. But, uh, yeah, this is the leader so far. I really did enjoy it and can't wait. We're going to talk to Molly in a minute. So we'll talk more about that. Not even an hour before we recorded this, uh, my dog started barking uncontrollably. And the reason was because 
UPS was here with two copies of Alice in Chains, The Untold Story by David DiSola. And Don and I talked about it really quickly last week uh, that I was reaching out, that I was hoping to do this, and it came together pretty quickly. And I'm really excited uh, about the book. Uh, you can buy it. There's hard, It's in hardcover right now. It's a. There's more to this untold story than I probably anticipated. Yeah. The book is a bit thicker large, yeah. than I thought it was going to be. Um, and you can buy it in hardcover in stores and Amazon and all that. And you can also buy it on ebook. And I almost did. I was I mentioned off the top being in the hospital for a couple of days. And I almost bought it to read it in the hospital. Why are ebooks fifteen dollars? Are they really? I've never even thought of buying I don't know. I still buy CDs for Why? some reason. I like to have things on the shelf. There is no reason that ebooks are not nine ninety nine. No, routinely. and they should probably they should probably always be included like with uh, if you buy the hardcover book. Like you should just get the ebook with it. I just think that they've made a huge tactical mistake. And I mentioned it on Twitter and a lot of people mentioned like the idea of the price fixing of CDs um, back in the early nineties. Oh, okay. You know, that it's something similar to that. And I know there was like an anti anti trust lawsuit or something against Apple and some of the other book club companies about that very thing. And I think they all lost and paid settlements. <laughs> um but in the end that book Ebooks are still way more expensive than they should be, and I don't understand it, but that's not David DeSola's fault, and um, you might, the listener might feel comfortable with the price and think I'm being an idiot, Um, but I'm really excited to read this book. He does mention um, that it would technically be considered an unauthorized uh, version, but he goes into why he kind of finds the idea of authorized or unauthorized as bullshit. Um. And that he did research and told a story. You know, so he's just saying the term itself. Yeah, he just doesn't really think it applies. Qualified? Yeah, I see. You know what I mean? That just because. Well, I mean, he knew Lane Staley wasn't going to be available for comment. That is true. You know, and he knew Mike Starr wasn't going to be able for for comment because they're both dead. Right. Um, and you know, it always disappoints me. Like, I wonder if Jerry Cantrell was in a. Barnes and Noble in Seattle and seen this giant thing and thought, shit, he told the story anyway. Maybe I should have right. had my voice in there. Right. I don't get that, but I guess I'm not famous. All right. That's everything for the book club this week. Please read this Alice in Chains book with me. I'm excited about it. I'll be tweeting about it, talking about it, and uh, I'm really excited now to take a break and uh, come back and talk with one of the hottest names out there i mean molly it's just been everywhere uh and people are loving this book and we're excited to have her on so let's take a break and come back with molly knight Our next guest is a native of Los Angeles and a graduate of Stanford, <laughs> whose logo is a tree and fight song is a cover of a free song, yeah. um, which is all makes a lot of sense. Uh, she spent eight years writing about baseball for ESPN, the magazine, among other things, and is the author of one of our favorite book club books of the month in a while. 
the best team money can buy. She's making her first appearance on the show today. Warm sportscasters, welcome to Molly Knight. How are you doing today, Molly? I'm great. Thanks for having me. That's the first time I've uh, ever uh, entered a, an interview to the Stanford fight song, so that was exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's fun, right? Doesn't it make you feel like, yeah. you know, sort of going to battle for the team again? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I just I got my season tickets uh, in the mail, um, or in the email, I should say, for football this year, uh, this week, so I'm excited. Yeah, but... My brother has bill season tickets, and this year they came. It's literally like a credit card that you would put in your wallet, and you oh, just swipe it as you walk into the stadium. Do they load like extra like perks or something on that? The Dodgers do that now for season ticket holders, certain season ticket holders. Yeah, and, you, like, you can put money on there add, too. Like, yeah, yeah, to spend in the stadium. They'll put money on mm-hmm. it, or like you can add money to it or something. Yeah, it's a smart idea. And you can still sell your ticket. I guess you could, you know. Get it in paper form on the internet and transfer that. But if you're not yeah. going to, you can just use that card and, you know, have money on it for the season and all that. So that's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. It uh, is cool. You know what's interesting about this book, The Best Team Money Can Buy, is it's one of those books that I started hearing about before I could have told anyone what it was called or who wrote it. Like, huh. I was hearing, like, these stories. Like, there's going to be this Dodger book where there's this really cool story of, like, Zach Greinke throwing Puig shit into the street <laughs> or something, you know, or, <laughs> yeah. or that I'd, here's some other story. And then it was actually Jeff Perlman, who's a really good friend of the show, when you, you did the quads with him and yeah. um, that I got, I kind of put two and two together like, oh, OK, this is this is the person who wrote that book that has that story yeah. in it. And um, I just was really interested in checking it out and. Uh, we got in touch with the publisher, and I, I, I really, I mean, I opened it like on a Thursday night to like read the first few pages to see what it was like, and that ended up being like eighty, and then I was done in like two days and really enjoyed it. Wow, um, wow, that's great to hear. And I've noticed strangely that people have said to you, it seems like a lot. Well, yeah, it's a good book and any and everything, but they didn't win. The World right. Series, or even playing it, right. so it's almost like they've used that as like, well, the book can't be that important, but that's ridiculous, right? I mean, talk a little bit about people taking that sort of strange angle on it. Well, first of all, i I don't have uh, the ability. Unfortunately, I don't have the ability to see to the future. So, uh, which when I'm, I began that stinks, recording yeah. this book. I had no way of knowing if they were going to win the World Series or not. I certainly hoped they were going to win the World Series because then, as you said, some people would just be like, oh, great, yeah, the World Team, I'll buy this, let's commemorate it. Right. But it's a very different book than a book that is quickly put together by a beat writer after a team wins the World Series in time for Christmas. You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. a different kind of book. This is just, this was like, what is it really like in, in a Major League locker room? I happen to have access because I knew I knew all the guys and they told me stuff and I knew their families and I knew everybody in the organization and they told me stuff and the owners and, and the front office and the, every, everybody you know the, the the bus drivers and the clubbies and the security guards and the you name it uh, I, I grew up in that stadium so yes I mean I would have loved for them to have gone from bankruptcy to champions in, in a year but that's not the way it worked out uh, and also you know I was pretty devastated when they lost uh, because I thought Oh God! You know, no one's going to buy this book. Like, it would have been so much better if they won. But I kind of realized, like, 
all my favorite sports books are they end in losses. Um, like Friday Night Lights, Moneyball, uh, Last Night of the Yankee Dynasty, uh, Buster Olney. I mean, these are teams that, um, you know, they aren't the Disney Cinderella teams. And I think those books end up being more interesting in a way. Um, I, I don't thought, know. I, I mean, it... that being said, I would love for them to win one this year and to add a quick little, uh, little, little, uh, mini chapter, uh, at the end of it. Right uh, for the paperback. Get it out, get <laughs> it out, uh, on shelves by like Thanksgiving. <laughs> Time for Christmas. I thought of, uh, that movie where the kid coaches and, um, which one? Yeah, the, the the kid's grandpa is like the owner of the twins or something, and he dies. So oh, 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 He yeah, becomes yeah. the Little coach. Yeah, and the movie ends with the the guy not quite hitting the home run. Right. It didn't make I mean, me I think not people, like the movie. Yeah, I think yeah. people kind of can maybe in a way people can most people can like relate to that more. You know, like I think most people can relate can can relate to having exciting moments and having ups and downs and maybe a great run and then like. You know, maybe not not the Disney ending, not the not the perfect thing, but still being okay. You know, and still walking away and going, yeah, that was heartbreaking, but there's there's hope. I think that that's more people can relate to that than than you know, riding off of the sunset as world champion. <laughs> you talked about how those books do exist, about how beat writers do put together books after championships, right. and obviously right. the team winning the championship. That's the moment that they decide they're going to do that book. What right, was exactly. the moment? Or somebody, somebody, a publisher might approach them, like a right. small public publisher, and say, "Hey, would you put together like a a commemorative?" And those books are cool, like yeah. you know, stocking stuff, especially if it's your team. Commemorative yeah. things, right? Yeah, especially if it's your team um, that won it. Jeff, Dun- I'm a huge Saints fan. Jeff Duncan wrote one um, when the Saints won the Super Bowl, and it doesn't right. make me love it any less because it's the best, second best sports thing that ever happened in my life was the Saints winning the Super Bowl. So, right, exactly, yeah. and. Yeah, and I, it's totally. This is just this is just a different um, kind of book. This is more of like a hard knock. Well, what was um, your situation. moment? What was your moment that said, "Okay, I'm going to do this book"? Because obviously, it wasn't the championship. So, what was right. your moment that turned it from an idea to, "Yeah, I'm going to definitely do this"? It's interesting. So, ESPN. I worked for ESPN for seven years and um, altogether. And in 2010, um, they when the McCourts who the, the these uh, people who own the Dodgers, when they um, began their divorce trial, ESPN LA was just sort of starting to launch. It hadn't really launched yet. And as it became more and more clear that these people were insane and that the situation was going to go nuclear and it was going to really um, impact the Dodgers, they sent me out to LA uh, to, to cover the trial and it just kept getting crazier and crazier. And I basically didn't, and I basically like never left LA. I came out here I um I was supposed to be here for like a week. I stayed. I kept. It kept getting crazier, 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 crazier. And then eventually he filed for bankruptcy. Um, and then it was like then I was just covering the sale of the team. And during that time, I would go from the courthouse. I was in the courthouse like every day downtown. And I would go from that circus to the Dodgers clubhouse. And you know, most players like fans want to know like what players think of of the team, their owners. And honestly, the players don't really care. All they care about is their checks are clearing right. and if their owner's not saying anything racist or whatever, right? Otherwise, like, they don't care. They don't see the owner as being the cheapskate if, if you know, they're being paid $20 million by him. I remember I had this conversation with Matt Kemp once on a plane where, um, you know, he was defending Frank McCord to me. And I was just like, what? And then I realized, like, oh, he's, um, he's literally on a plane right now to go sign a, a, <laughs> a six-year or an eight-year extension for $160 million. Of course, of course. 
you know, he's going to not understand why I'm calling <laughs> McCord a cheapskate, right. you know? Um, yeah. So, so yeah, like, but then as soon as that started happening, you threaten their, their paychecks. Once they hear stories about, like, oh, wow, he'd do what? He had to file for bankruptcy because he couldn't make payroll on Friday? And then that gets their attention. So they were, like, asking me, um, whoa, do you know, like, you know the lawyer, like, you know what's going on? Like, the agent doesn't know. Like, how are we getting, are we, we're getting paid, on the, are we getting paid on Friday? Are we getting paid next Monday? Like, what's happened, you know? And then they sort of, like, that was the point where I think the relationship that I had with a lot of these guys went from, like, reporter, player, to, like, where I was always the one needing information to, like, an even swap of information. Like, oh, hey, text me, find out what's going on, can you, or email me, or, you know, can you let me know? Um, and so through that, that's how we all sort of like, I became um, close to all these guys because I was around during those like dark days. And then when they got bought and they traded, they made that trade for those, they saw, well, they traded for Henry Ramirez and they traded for the Boston uh, players. And then they signed that Granky and, um, a couple of, uh, there was a, there was like a, a couple of guys who were on like a group text chain and they said, you should write a book about us. Hmm. And I and they're like, We're gonna win the World Series. Like we got we got Kirsch, we got Granky, like we're gonna win. And I was just like, No, oh, I don't know, I'm not a book. And I thought about it over the off season and then I walked into the clubhouse during spring training and I started talking to some of the guys and they're like, Oh, you are you're gonna do a book, you're gonna do a book and the the, the two that that approached me. I thought, well, I don't know. I started walking around and asking other guys and they were like if they would cooperate and they were like, Yeah, that sounds cool. Like, sure. I think they just all seen Moneyball and, like, thought right. maybe Brad Pitt would play them in the movie or something. Um, <laughs> or they, they just were indifferent and didn't know what a book meant. I didn't care because they were never going to read a book anyway. Um, so, have... yeah, that's just sort of how it started. Then it... I wasn't going to do it because they were, they came out in 2013 and just face planted and were, like, in the last place. And I was not interested in writing a book about, like, look at this flipping train wreck, you know. It wasn't until they went on that 42-8 and eight run, I think, that I, that I, that I said, okay, this team is special, and I need to do this. Well, you have this really interesting story where, you know, a lot of times people are on, they went to journalism school at Columbia, or they went to Newhouse, uh-huh. or Vanderbilt, or whatever. You know, and your story is a little different, where you went to Stanford and then headed east, and, you know, were doing bartending to, to kind of supplement your right. income while you're learning how to write, and uh, then work for ESPN. And I was thinking about, while you're talking about how then you know this team, this story, this idea sent you back to LA. Do you think that if maybe the team was the Diamondbacks or something that it would have gotten to this level? Do you think the idea of uh, this assignment sending you back to your roots and to a team that right. you grew up going for, to? Oh, was, for sure. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Part of it was, you know, I was a cub reporter. I was, I was like, 25 or 6 at that point and um, I I could go like crash with my sister indefinitely you know like I was trying to find I, I, and I was willing to do that because I was hungry I was trying to find my own um, my, forge my own path and I had been telling them for a long time like no you don't understand like I, I know people in LA who know these people you know them of course and they, everybody says how crazy they are. Like, this is not going to be settled. Because everyone's like, oh, they'll settle it. It's never, that never happened, right? Like, like this guy, if he can just settle it and pay his wife off, he can keep the team. So, of course, he's going to settle it. But people didn't understand that they were crazy. And that, like, they wanted to fight to the, fight to the death. Even if that, that they both lost. Um, and 
And so I was definitely like pitching that story to my editors. And then um, they were kind of like, yeah, yeah, Molly with another Dodger pitch, whatever. <laughs> and then as it got, as it, as it started, started becoming more national news, they were like, oh, okay, well, if you want to go out there, like we, we want to, you know, you can write stories for uh, .com every day. And like, I just jumped at it and I did it. And that's, you're exactly right. I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have been the person assigned to it if it weren't the Dodgers. And also, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have been able to, to um, you know, go crash with my relatives and do it. Yeah, and, you know, the book, it's not specifically structured this way, but it sort of feels like there's this first part of it where it's about the McCourts and everything that mm-hmm. happened there. And then the book kind of transfers into the new ownership and right. uh, them putting together a team. And then the last part of the book is sort of this team that put together and then what actually happened out on the field. Um, And it doesn't really seem like you could have this book without any of those parts and that everything. Yeah, no, you're right. They, um, they didn't like, there's no, and I didn't even want to want to write that much about the McCourts, but like I had to, because you wouldn't have been able to see, you know, just how incredible it was that they were now the rich team when they literally could not afford to pay their players like a year before. Like it was such a weird, it created such a weird vacuum um, for all this to, to happen in. I'm sorry, I cut you off, but yes. No. <laughs> yeah. And as you say that, I was thinking there's gotta be someone in LA who's from New York right now, getting ready to move from LA to New York to sort of write this mm-hmm. weird story about the Wilpons and how, for this right. long period of time, they operated their New York City team like they were from right. Kansas City, and then it just seems like it's a really interesting bi-coastal yeah. thing there between that maybe there's another well, story like that. But yeah, the, it's just so bizarre. I think something that also that that another reason why I was like, like I said, I was trying to um, get back to LA and do this is because there were so many reporters covering the the Yankees and the Mets that. If this story had happened, um, if the McCourts had on the Mets, let's say, um, I wouldn't have gotten any, I wouldn't have been allowed anywhere near it because there would have been like 20 people with more seniority than me at that point who would have been ahead of me in line. Um, and so just, just because by nature of it being in New York. And so I think, um, I think it would be much more difficult for, like I said, like a 25 year old club reporter to, to, fly into New York and do it. It's not, it's not impossible. Right. But yeah, um, but yeah I, although it's weird, like, I don't know. The Wilpons, it's like, Mets fans, I have a ton of Mets fans follow me on Twitter because I, <laughs> I was on the MLB network. I did like five shows one day and I basically like trashed the Wilpons on each show. And I just like got like a couple thousand Mets followers who were like begging me, please have your next book be on the Wilpons. Like, and it's sort of like they're, the fans feel like the maybe the writers, the press isn't talking about it enough. Um, I, I don't know because I don't live in New York anymore. I don't see the Post and the Daily News every day. Um, I've, I've never known the New York press to pull punches. Um, right. So I don't feel like anyone's <laughs> trying to pretend. Um, but, you know, I just, I feel like they, everyone pretty much knows what happened. They got caught up with the Madoff thing and they haven't been the same since financially. And they're still owners because they are tight with Felix. Um, and from people that I've talked to say that Fred Wilpon is like a good, a good man. It's like a decent guy, a decent human being. Uh, and Frank McCourt, he didn't have any allies. He didn't have, he did he didn't, um, he doesn't really, you know, trade on relationships. He sues people for a living. So 
he got ousted because he didn't have that support that like among the other members in the country club, whereas Wolpon is like, you know, in it. So I don't know. That would be interesting in itself. That's like a skull and bones type book, I think. You know what's um, really interesting? But, about... uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but um, but like you know the Mets. They, I said if they if they go out and they get if they have the best pitching staff, you know if they go out and they get a big bat, like I'll shut my mouth and stop bashing the Wolpons. And they got Cespedes, and he's right. he's like one of my favorite players um, in baseball because he's awesome and he's got a fantastic personality, and I just love watching him play. So they did it. So I'm I've zipped my lips for now. <laughs> How about them? One thing I thought was really interesting is, and we talk about we talk to authors about this all the time. Uh, James Andrew Miller comes to mind. He wrote that incredible yeah. book about ESPN. And I remember uh-huh. when he came out to talk about it, talking about how this is kind of your beat now, you know, in a way that yeah. you're always going to be the guy who wrote the ESPN book. And because, right, right. because of what it takes to write that book, he's got the Rolodex that anytime anything happens at ESPN, it makes exactly. sense for him to tell that story. And it's interesting to me that people looked at your book and said, hey, come do that owner thing with the Mets now, where when I was right. getting ready to talk to you, I was thinking of saying, do you think now you're kind of going to be a Dodger? The Dodgers is going to be, well, I don't want to say you're beat, but you're always right. going to be a part of the story, especially when it's the Kershaws right. and the Greinke Dodgers. That's always going to be kind of your sure. thing and your story to tell. Yeah. I mean, in a way, I mean, because with the, 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 I thought about this and honestly, like I was always tweeting about them anyway. Like since Twitter began, I got on Twitter, um, during the McCourt trial. So, like, the reason why I even started my Twitter account was to, like, tweet updates from the court. And I would say that, like, most of my content has been about them in general for the last, like, five or six years. And I'm not going to write much about them anymore because, formally, because I've already, like, said everything that I know and I need to say. Um, But, I mean, I'm not saying I never would, but, I mean, for the time being. uh, But that being said, yeah, you're absolutely right. I will, like, fire off tweets about, like, certain things. One situation is, like you know, is, uh, calls for, like what James Andrew Miller does when, when a lot of these high profile people were leaving ESPN, like, oh, Bill right, Simmons, and yeah. KO, mm-hmm. you know, he, he offered his insight and people were like, oh yeah, this is the guy who wrote the book. Like, let's, let's see what he has to say. But, um, I don't know, like, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to, um, write another baseball book next. Um, I'm not going to write another Dodger book next. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be like, Dodger, Dodger gal. I mean, I'll, I think I'll always be somewhat of a fan, so I'll be tweeting from that perspective and from like the, it's, you know, like you said, with, I have, I have all the sources, the Rolodex, so like if that, if I need to do that, but, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I might, might, I might not even do a sports book next. I don't know what, what I'm going to do next, but, um, but yeah, but, but my Twitter account will be filled with Dodger stuff probably forever. <laughs> a few weeks back, we had Linda Cohn on the show. And I told her this story, and I want to tell you too, and I want to see what you think about it. Because it's hard for me to know the right answer. Jane Levy is a really we tease her and call her the first lady of the sportscasters. She's, yeah. She's been, yeah. She's been amazing to us. And the first time she was on, when she was promoting her Mantle book, and she's come on several times since, and somehow she finds me and this show amusing, and I'm unbelievably great, grateful for that. And um, one time I was just like, getting ready to have her on and I was just checking around the internet to see if anything was going on. I didn't realize that I might want to talk to her about. And I found this thread on a message board about Jane and it was talking about how people were sort of tired out with every time she would be on something that 
instead of talking to her about her expertise on Mantle or maybe the Yankees or Koufax or something else, it would instead just be about her role as this, maybe, I don't know if I want to say pioneer, whatever, a woman in sports, and that it would just get too much on that. And then a couple of things down, it said, well, you should listen to her on the sportscasters because they don't really talk to her about that. And at first I thought, oh, that's really cool. We don't do that. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. Is it cool or is she waiting for me every time to ask her that? Am I screwing up? I I didn't know what the right thing is. And I've noticed right from the first article I read with you and Jeff where he would talk to you about this. And I've Mm -hmm. seen other times where it's mentioned. What Mm -hmm. do you like? What makes you the most comfortable? Do you like it when the interview is that way? Do you prefer when it's Dodgers? Do you prefer a mix? Like... Was I right? Yeah, was I, I wrong? Where was that? You know, do you know what I, I don't know if that's a really good saying. question. No, no, I know but, what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally. And I, I think you're, I think you're being too hard on yourself. I think that, that, um, sure. I, I, in a way I expect the questions about that, but I, but they don't, they don't annoy me at all. I mean, I wouldn't have, if I didn't want to answer questions about that, I would not have dedicated my women, my book to all the women who, um, you know, fought for locker room access. Um, because it's important. And I think that there are a lot of young women out there who really like sports and sort of have to like downplay it, like, because it's not like a traditionally like a woman's thing or whatever, you know, they're, they're sports obsessive, but they might try to hide, like hide it a little bit or wanting to be sports reporters. I get so many emails from, from young women who want to go, want to be a sports journalist or, or, or photographer, um, sports photographer. And they're just like, how does it work? Like, is it horrible? Is it, you know, are you harassed? Are you, are you, is it totally mortifying? Like, are they naked? Is it, is it like, did, are the men writers mean? Is it blah, 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 you know, this and this and this. And, and, um, I think it's fascinating. I, I don't know that we've really had like a television show, um, or something that's like uh, explored that where you've seen what it's like, um, like, like how other careers might be more explored. Um, so yeah, I, I certainly don't don't mind talking about it, but um, but yeah, I don't know if other people would mind either. <laughs> but but I think I think you're fine either way. You know, I was wondering too, like as you 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 take your first step into the Dodgers locker room, and you're just right someone taking their first step in, really, right? right? And then as you've built the relationships, as you said, and and had the text messages and. We're able to yeah. build up to being a person who Clayton Kershaw would invite into his house while he signs his contract, things like right. that. Did you, did you find a change? Um, like maybe it's you just really became Molly, not even uh, Molly the yeah. really good girl. That just kind of faded off somehow without even noticing. Yeah, I think that um, it's weird. You know, when I started off in the locker room, um, I was 23 and – that was like eight years ago and I, um, I wasn't, uh, I don't know part of it was the time, um, how like it, it, what was going on in the world then and different things that were happening where we've, I feel like in the last decade we've, we've moved at light speed, like towards accepting, um, towards acceptance of people of different, um, walks of life wanting to do certain things, whether it's, um, the gays getting married or, um, women, you know, having women who are now, um, you know, assistant coaches in the NFL and the NBA, I think people are just over it. They just want everyone, we, more and more, we're getting smart about 
seeing a person and judging them based on, um, you know, their, their, how good they are at their jobs and the, the color of their skin or their gender. Um, and, and sort of like where, where people are getting, um, I don't know, they're having their rights respected and they're, and, and they're being taken seriously. And I, I think it's awesome. Um, so I don't know if part of it was that I was just young. And so I was really intimidated and people were looking at me like, 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 you know, not taking me seriously because I was young or if it was just because it was a different, um, time back then. It's probably right. a little bit of both. Uh, Dodgers, I mean, it used to be with ESPN that I would go into different clubhouses. I wasn't like on the Dodgers beat. So, you know, anytime you walk into a clubhouse where you don't recognize anybody or know anybody, it's going to be awkward. Like, like, it's like walking into a party where you don't know anybody, you know, you're like, uh, just kind of walk up, introduce yourself and then go through the whole thing. Whereas if you're in the same clubhouse over and over again with these guys, they know who you are, they know your face or whatever. And, um, you know, they're not, they're not like sizing you up, like how you feel when you walk into a, a new clubhouse. So, yeah, I think part of it too is like baseball used to be full of a lot more, um, I don't want to, I don't know how to put it, but like, it's just, it's just not, as, I just don't notice it as much anymore. I'm sure that harassment still goes down. I'm sure that things are said or, you know, dumb, you know, cat called or whatever. I just haven't seen it as much. Uh, and I don't know if that's just because like, I've been around the Dodgers and, um, the, the culture there is just, it's not, it hasn't been like that. Um, and they recognize that the few women who are around the team and they don't, and they don't give either of us any shit. Um, Elena Rizzo being the other one, the, the on-air person who's a phenomenal talent who came over from B network. I think that, um, they, they know, and they know pretty, pretty quickly, uh, whether to take you seriously or not. And I, I always like tell other female reporters if they want to be, you know, taken really seriously as a journalist, you know, to never, to never get involved in dating anybody, um, whether, whether it's a player or, or anybody who works for the team or an agent or anybody in that world, right? because it's such a gossipy world that it's just, it's not worth it unless you've literally like met the love of your life and you're willing to like, risk all of that if it goes sour um and uh and yeah and once they realize that you're you're there to work and you know the game and that you respect their boundaries and stuff i was i found that i was treated totally fairly by everyone even guys who who, who probably don't like me or didn't like me or you know were pissed about something i wrote at some point i never felt like i was being uh dismissed or condescended to because i was a woman and that's such an amazing thing because that was not the way it was you know, 15 right. years ago, 20 years ago. Right. Um, so you know, I've had it easy. One of the first things I remember about this issue at all was like the Patriots locker room with, was it Leslie Visser? Was she the one? Maybe it's yeah. some, someone different. But yeah, I mean, it's come such a long way. The sportscasts are here with Molly Knight, the best team money can buy. The Los Angeles Dodgers' wild struggle to build a baseball powerhouse is available in hardcover and, of course, on ebooks as well. You can get it that way. And Molly has been just about everywhere promoting this thing and i say that <laughs> in a good way um uh-huh. and hopefully i thought of at least one thing to um that was different uh to ask yeah you. Uh, a couple more things before i let you go okay. um first is so what i'm a, that's a, another quick story so i'm a bit of a, a mark a bit of a wrestling mark i'm fully willing to admit that that i've been a a fan of wrestling since uh my grand my old italian grandfather um, used to tell me that wrestling was real and football was fake when I was like five and <laughs> Love it. he was 87. Uh, and, um, 
And uh, one night a, a year or two ago, I was watching a wrestling and made a, a quote on Twitter about how incredibly beautiful uh, Lana looked that night. And uh, Lana was this is this character um, played by a girl named I think C.J. Perry, um, who's from like Florida, but she pretends to be Russian. Whatever. So like a half an hour later, I looked down on my Twitter and I got like thirteen messages or something or replies, whatever you call them. And it's someone had taken my tweet and sent it to at Lana and, oh, and said, and said yeah. look at the, this guy is talking about you being really hot uh-huh. uh, or yeah. looking nice or whatever I said. I, I do believe it was a respectful tweet. I don't think I was being sexist or anything. Um, yeah. And then Lana sort of teasing me and then other people who jumped on. And I just said to myself, well, I don't know who this is, but it's really cool that her name is at Lana, that she got that handle. Right. That was really cool. Right. And that she had about 75 times as many followers as I did. And um, mm-hmm. that then I was reading her tweets and that they were these really cool um, sports tweets. And then, then I start reading this book and following you on Twitter. And all of a sudden there's this connection between Molly and this Lana. Who Lana, yeah. I did we're not, roommates. Yeah, you're roommates. Uh, that's That's crazy. It's not yeah, crazy well, that you're roommates because anyone could be roommates, but I don't know. Maybe yeah. that was a dumb story. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> no, no, we met we met through baseball stuff, and uh, and uh, she was coming out to LA to start her podcast, which she just started last week. Yeah, I was going to give it and a plug. She, yeah, and she happened to ask me um, if I knew if anybody needed a roommate, and actually, my sister had just moved out because she got married. And so I was like, well, you can come live with me. And she did. And we've had, a, we've just had a phenomenal time. And we just went to Costco and like had the time of our lives. So. Yeah. And I, I, <laughs> I sort of told that story to say, um, as part yeah. of uh, everything that you've done promoting the book. One is, as you were on, I think the very cleverly titled the Lana Berry podcast featuring Lana, I think is what it's yeah. called. Um, and you were on the first episode of that, I guess. Was it the first one? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, because I was her roommate, so you know, yeah. uh, I'm a her roommate, so it's kind of a tough get. But, so uh, people, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so people should, should check that out. And um, again, this book, I really had fun with it, despite the fact that when I knew it was coming, um, as I read the book, I knew it was coming. But uh, man, did you get my blood boiling again when I read about the NLDS? And Craig Kimbrell yeah. inexcusably yeah, standing in the dugout. What do you remember about that night? Because you, you kind of focus on Uribe yeah. hitting the home run more, which makes sense in the context of the book. But for right. someone who this is literally one of the top five sports moments, I can't let go. It just yeah. still bothers me, partially because he that was his chance to really matter as a Brave. He never really came in and pitched a game. That was his chance to matter, and they would have been past Kershaw and past Granke and going right. home in a very winnable game. What do you remember about it building up and uh, him yeah. not coming in to start and then the hit? Go, t- tell me about that just so I can get mad about it before you go. So I remember that Kershaw was starting on short rest, yep. which people were worried, worried about because you know he's their, he's their horse and and he came out, and I remember they were starting, the Braves were starting uh, Freddie Garcia, and everybody just thinking, like, okay, this is going to be... Mismatch. Um, yep. No, nothing. Mm-hmm. And then, like, Adrian Gonzalez makes, like, two awful errors, and the Braves score, like, two runs. And I started thinking, like, oh, God. 
like that's just really weird because Gonzalez is a really good defender and he doesn't he's not an emotional player so um he's not likely to totally like choke and tank in the playoffs so I'm like oh god this is like like this is bad I do not want to go back to Atlanta because I was <laughs> I was um I, I was paying for everything I, I out of my pocket. I hadn't gotten a book advance at that point, and I was right. like almost out of airline miles. I was like, <laughs> I do not want to go back to Atlanta. It's going to be a disaster. Not only because I'm worried they're going to lose, but because it's going to cost me like another thousand dollars or whatever. Um, and so I'm sitting there, and I remember and Freddie and Freddie hangs in, and the score is like two to two or whatever. Yeah, it was two Kirsch, to two on when Kershaw left for sure. Yeah, Kershaw yeah. comes out after six because uh, you know he's working on three days rest. And I just, and I think Belisario gave up the runs or something happened and the Dodgers were losing. And I was just like, oh my God. And I was pacing, um, I was pacing on a loge level with uh, one, uh, one of the players' wives. Um, we were both just like, fuck. <laughs> and then I just remember thinking like, okay, um, well, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. And they had so many, so many comebacks that year. They had just been amazing. Yeah, that was their thing. Yeah. That was their thing for sure. Yeah, yeah they yeah. had. They played uh-huh. like eight hundred ball for like the summer because they were so awful in the first two months. And I went back up to the press box, and Puig gets that hit, and I just remember, okay, Puig's on second. He touches the score, and Donnie Mattingly says, like, tries to have uh, Puig. Or you're right? Yep. About I'm just sitting there like, oh my god, you've got to be kidding me! Puig is so fast, you can score on a hit. Uribe is like has had like two sacrifice bunts like in the last three years. But this is and and I remember thinking like, okay, I like Madame Me as a person, and I people people who read that book, my book, I think will will get that. Right. I just remember like I was very critical of him of his in game management. As many that, have that been. Year. Yep. I mean, he just like a lot of things that were just bad. And I remember thinking, like, people telling me, oh, Freddie um, Gonzalez is worse. And, and they were right. Like, <laughs> and it was like it was like a thing where it's like they were sort of like, it was like Freddie wasn't bringing in Kimberl, but then Donnie was having Uribe bunt. So it's like a part of me was like, well, okay, yeah, why would I waste Kimberl if all this dude's going to do is bunt, you know? Like, I was like, it was sort of like a blind man thing against the blind in that moment. And, um, and so... I just, I'm thinking it's O, the count was O two or one two. I don't remember. He had two strikes on him. Yeah, because he, he didn't get the bunt down. And I just, I'm thinking like, this is, this. I'm thinking to myself like, oh god, this is like, this is bad. And I'm thinking he's going to strike out because he wasted two strikes on failing to get the bunt down. And then that kid, that poor kid, hangs a hangs a curveball or a slider or something. I mean, it was just right out of his hand. It was a hanger. I was like, oh, and he threw it, and I like, and I gasped. Um, and then you read they hit it, and that's where he hits the ball a lot because he doesn't. Um, he just sees the ball and hits the ball. He doesn't really think about is it going to be a changeup or a fastball or whatever. He was just swinging as if it was going to be like a like a fastball. I guess that's why he was like way ahead of it and pulled it. And when he hit that ball, I mean there was no doubt it was gone from the second off the left his bat. And that stadium was so loud. Mm-hmm. I thought that the the top the reserve level, which is the level above the press box, I thought it was going to collapse down onto the press box. It was shaking. Um, definitely the biggest moment, the biggest hit in uh, Dodger history since Gibson's home run. Right. And, and yeah. Um, yeah. And it's funny in a way, I mean, Gibson's happened in the, I know Gibson's the heroics and all that. Gibson's happened, you know, in the world series, but Gibson was a, was a game one uh, home run. Right. You know? yep. This one, this one was a serious clinching home run. Yeah. So, 
that was pretty cool. And I just love Juan Uribe. He was like, yeah, and you, you do a great job kind of bringing him to life in the book too. He's a really great character, an underrated character in the book. I thought. Yeah, I yeah. think I think that um, I saw him do some things. I've never seen a guy. Um, major baseball locker rooms are so segregated uh, based on not so much like players don't get along. I just want to hang out with people that they speak the same language with. And right. I and it's I didn't realize that yeah. I think um, as a as a fan until I walked into a clubhouse and saw that like, oh, okay. Uh, the English speakers are segregated over here, and the Spanish speakers are over there. Um, you don't even think about like some like guys not even being able to communicate with each other, and so or I I didn't think about it. And so one year, is the only person I've ever seen, and the bullpen guys kind of hang out together, and and the starting pitchers are weird. And one year, is the only teammate I've ever seen in any clubhouse uh, who makes an effort to befriend everyone. Uh, you know, he'll, he doesn't matter who you are. He'll sit down. He wants you to play dominoes with him or he wants you to play cards or whatever and he went out of his way Dodgers when they signed Han Jin Ryu um to out of South Korea you know Ryu doesn't speak the language the only person he can communicate with really is his translator and he was nervous I mean like anybody would be going to a new country and not having any friends and he was worried about it and he told me this um through his translator obviously and uh <laughs> You really like was sensitive to that. He knew right away, like, okay, you know, I'm going to go befriend this guy, and he had no idea how to communicate with him. So he just sort of like tackled him in the locker room, and then they were like best friends from that day forward. And I don't know, that kind of thing is really underrated because Rue went out to be like a huge part of that team, right? Um, And even in the playoffs, and and um, you know, homesickness or depression or anxiety or whatever it was, like, could have set in if he had felt really isolated. You know, he had felt like I made a mistake. I shouldn't have come here, like whatever. But like Uribe didn't want that happen. Um, so it's kind of like we see that for sure we would have happened, but but um, you know, kind of. Yeah, it's just, it's just huge. And uh, you know, for me, I thought first of all, Gonzalez doesn't know that he's about to bunt. Kimbrel should have came yeah. in to face Pugue first of all. That's their best guy. We need to face Pugue, him yeah. with our best guy. Uh, yeah, Puig, yeah. sorry. And uh, he needs to be there. And then he absolutely needs to be there when he gets the hit. And I think right. it was TBS was covering this game. And they did a great job when they hit the home run. The uh, I don't know if it was Ernie who was calling it or whoever. He just kind of laid out. And they're cutting from shot to shot in the stadium. Oh, my God. And the, and the defining moment is the picture of Kimbrell standing there with his hands yeah. on his hips, the ball in his glove. Just, uh, uh. And then saying, like, I wanted the fucking ball. He wanted it, like, and he nice. did, and he he deserved it. It was his ball, but I don't know. I know the best I team, know, and, and it was a mistake, you know. And like a lot of closers or a lot of managers do this. I mean, the Dodgers had this three game series in Pittsburgh over the weekend, and Kevin Jansen didn't pitch, and they lost, you know, and, and they they lost two really close games, and and they got trounced in the one because their bullpen suck. Yeah. Um, and I think you know that needs to be needs to be addressed. You gotta bring in you can't just save your closer for the ninth. You gotta you gotta bring him in, you know, to make an impact when you can. So especially yeah, I'm sorry you had to endure that. <laughs> especially when you just weathered the uh the Kershaw storm, you know? Yes, uh, yes, for sure. The best you know, they had him on they had him on the ropes. Yeah. I, I was thinking if they won that game they were gonna win the series. That's what I was um, thinking. Everyone was thinking that probably. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was really rough. The best team money can buy, the Los Angeles Dodgers Wild Struggle to Build a Baseball t- Powerhouse by Molly Knight. It's in stores now. And, and as you just seen there, I just mentioned this one play in a season, and it 
brings to life one of the great characters in the book. Um, and there's many. There's Puig. There's uh, Matt Kemp, who a few years ago, I think it was S.L. Price who wrote the cover story on SI about him, but we had him on. And I just thought, man, this is going to be the next great baseball star. And there's talks right. in the book about why that didn't happen exactly. And, of course, there's Don Mattingly and there's the McCourts and there's just all kinds of great characters in this book, which is probably why I loved it so much. You can find Molly on Twitter. She's at Molly underscore night, uh, like the uh, the fighting night, not the time of day. <laughs> yeah. um, and, of course, like nights you find it medieval times. If, or, right, know. exactly. And you, if you want to know more about this book, I, I did my best, but there's probably people she's talked to oh. that are better. And she's been in great places, including the Lana Berry podcast. Uh, you can hear her <laughs> there. And uh, the Quaz we mentioned and all kinds of great pots. Anything else you want to mention, um, plug-wise, yeah, where to go anywhere? Amazon.com. Amazon, of course. The best and I've, way to find it. I've linked to that on my Twitter a few times, and I'll, I'll do that again. And uh, really, Molly, thank you so much for taking all the time. Thank you for being flexible with me today. Yeah. And uh, thank you. I, I, uh, we do at least one or two of these a month, and this has been one I've enjoyed a lot. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thanks for recently. having the book club. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. It is sort of sneakily created so people will come on that normally wouldn't. I will admit that. <laughs> I don't think John Smoltz was going to come on if he wasn't promoting his book. Uh, the huh. same with Frank DeFord. Probably was not thinking he really <laughs> needed to be on this practically anonymous podcast based in Buffalo. Uh, but the uh, book club helps draw them out. Uh, but it, it, No, this is fun. You've done, you did a nice job, so thank you. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully uh, we can have you back soon to just talk uh, about a Dodgers playoff run or something in October yeah, or something anytime. like that. Thank you, Molly. Okay, bye. All right, I want to thank Molly Knight for being on the podcast today and being so flexible with us. I also want to thank our other guest, always one of our favorites when we have that guest in. <laughs> uh, you can find this week's show and all of our shows on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can find them on Stitcher, and we always say this, iTunes, Anywhere. wherever you can find podcasts. You can't let us know. You can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com, and you can find us on Twitter. I'm usually at sports underscore casters, and Don is usually at Don Like Sports. You know, when I first got on Twitter, I had a account that was Diversity23, which I think when I thought, when I started the show account, I sort of envisioned that that would be for the show and the one I had would be for me. Mm -hmm. Now I realize I only use that other one to talk about Big Brother with people. Oh, you do actually use it? Yeah, to, to tweet Big Brother feed watchers and. <laughs> chirp about the show big brother okay yeah is the fredonia kid still on there he is all right yeah he won the power of veto this week and okay i did sit down and, block. and like I, I say it like i sat down to watch it i sat down and watched like an almost an entire episode before they were doing like uh it's a really hard show to watch out of context uh, yeah wasn't that sweet they did the challenge they had the even flow and sound garden yeah and yeah. All this. yeah that was really cool um you want to do? You want to? Yeah, go first? mine's right. probably less. Uh, mine's silly too, sort of. Um, two things this week about fantasy football, since we didn't talk about it at all. I started doing mock drafts, and I kind of had a question for you. 
first of all, I, I like to do mock drafts. I generally do mock drafts. Kind of, I don't think you can hone too much, but maybe you can kind of figure like you can if you know your spot. You can kind of try things like goofy things. Like if I go Gronkowski first, how does my team look? And for that, I think it's valuable. But other than that, people do wacky things in a league, especially a league with mine that kind of has like a mixed fantasy talent pool. What uh, what site have you been using to do the mocks? I have been using ESPN only because it's the app on my phone. I've heard Fabiano. I would recommend downloading the NFL app and doing it there only because they have PPR specific mocks. And you know you're in a room where everyone is drafting with PPR in mind. Oh, I might do that. That's then, the one that, the yeah. one thing that I would say does give it a sort of a leg up. Yeah. Because in on ESPN, everyone's just one mock for all. Yeah, for some reason you can so, look at the league rules in ESPN. But they're the mocks, same all the time. The same, yeah. Yeah. They're just standard. My question to you, if you do a mock draft, how many good etiquette, how many rounds should you stay in the draft? When do you bail on it? Because you're not drafting uh, the picker at the end. Yeah. No, I uh I usually go. I got a number in mind. I usually go until there's two bench spots left. Okay, around there. I usually pick at least six. Yeah, I go farther I, than that. Yeah, I, I would probably go a little further than that too because that's when you start to see some of like. There's a lot of like sexy sleeper picks. Yeah, like I rookies. And I haven't stuff. learned enough from the mock yet to leave that early. Yeah. But sometimes so many people have bailed by then that you may as well. Right. So that's part of it too. If, yeah. If you look up there and there's like. All the autos. eight A's. Yeah, you might as well bail. But okay, my other my other comment. Uh, we're discussing a dynasty league, and it's been a discussion, and we're just about to just. Yeah, we got our whole league kind of going back and forth with ideas. <laughs> it's been awesome. Yeah, it's essentially been me and Steve discussing ideas, and we're just gonna get something and and say hey, that'll be you it. had your chance, right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, in reading about auctions and trying to learn about auctions, I can't wait. I've never done an auction before, it's fun. and it sounds awesome because of how varied and uh, your teams can be. You can do the stars and scrubs, or you could just have like everyone that's kind of middle of, of the road. Or uh, I like the idea of kind of sneakily nominating a guy that you have no intention of draft. Like, I just can't wait for an auction, and I could see myself trying to convince uh, my more casual yearly league to flip to an auction format next year yeah uh they're awesome uh their commitment though they are longer yeah you know and people do need to focus i don't know if you I can't just zone out and go smoke or go eat or whatever while you're waiting on you got to focus on the sites you've done them on uh say you have ten dollars left and you have three roster positions left will it automatically only let you spend eight dollars i've never done one on a site Oh, okay. The only one I did in was paper. in person, yeah. So that people would have to know. I created a uh, a spreadsheet real quick for the guy. Oh, okay. Because you would have to have single dollars left to fill, right? You can't spend zero dollars. Our rule was there was no zero dollar picks. Okay. So I think I was telling you that the last three picks I made in my auction, the one I did were. They were crazy. Were Cooks, Benjamin, and Evans. Um, for like a total And like I got them for really cheap yeah. because by then no one had money left. Yep. The the one I did, people really overspent their money, especially early. Yep. I think I told you like Monty Ball went for like seventy dollars. I I probably am unfairly afraid of CJ Anderson this year for the same right. reason. But yeah. that that's all. I just had some. I'm getting excited about fantasy. I started doing mocks today. I'm I'm pumped. One last thing for me today. Uh, Don got at me on, on me on Twitter. 
Um, I just had retweeted a Bill Simmons tweet. I really, because I just thought it was kind of cute. And Don came back pretty hard about how Brady shouldn't be cheating. And oh, da da da. And uh, I was gonna say I'm never on Twitter. What did I do? And um, it turns out that uh, not only does Tom Brady maybe cheat, but uh, every team cheats. And there's a website to prove it. Oh yeah, it's called yourteamcheats.com. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah, and um, it gives people a score on their cheating. <laughs> um, and do you want to try to broker a guess at which teams have the highest or lowest scores in cheating according to your team cheats? Oh, uh, just my personal bias. I'm going to say that Seattle cheats a lot. Uh, let's see. Seattle is in the Western. I don't know what it is. I have a. They have a them. score of twenty-five, which is fifteen below the highest I see in the league. Hmm. I don't know who that. Now, I guess the question would be: Does the cheating? The highest cheating team in their division is San Francisco with thirty-five. Okay. Um, and that's five below the highest. Does it translate at Nine all? Nine below the highest. Like, do the cheaters translate to wins? Like, are the or are the Bills like up near the top of the list? The Bills are at eighteen. Okay. That, that seems pretty higher part of the lower third, probably. They need to cheat more or better. They might. Um, the New York Jets have a forty-four. Jesus, uh, they're considered the biggest cheaters. And there's a few teams with twelve: Jacksonville, Kansas City, and Arizona. Choir they don't boys. Cheat. Choir boys. Then the Saints have a twenty-two. Which would probably be closer to twelve if they didn't get Zach for Bounty Gate. Oh, that's what it's what is it based on? Like It's got a bunch of different reasons. Like we'll just bring the bills up. Okay. I mean Marcel Darius is not gonna be part of the cheating because he was PEDs uh, okay. five times since seventy nine. That makes sense. So that contributes to their score. Um Gusty Gate. Uh which has something to do with wind off of Lake Erie or okay. something. Uh affected their score. Uh, injury gate. The Bills got fined twenty grand for violating uh, the NFL's how you report how you report injuries yeah. once. Um, and then a bunch of teams have stuff that's sort of league wide. Oh, okay. And uh, they judge whether how much your team is maybe a part of that. Like for example, uh, Spygate was considered league wide until two thousand six, but the Bills don't have any points against them in that category. Interesting. Okay. So apparently, they feel that the Bills are clean on that they also have it broken down to super bowl where you can find out why every super bowl has an asterisk and they find <laughs> something for everyone like the saints obviously it's bounty gate is why they get an asterisk okay right because you know in the, the super bowl they were trying to hit the other team hard right and they they hit brett Favre a lot the week before when right. they were trying to get to the super bowl uh, even though the commissioner did tell jonathan vilma that he has no reason to believe they had a bounty on Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl. They gave it up at that point. Okay. Um, so the teams that beat the Bills in the Super Bowl, what did those dirty cheaters do, right? You want to know, I'm sure. Cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Giants were also guilty of this gusty gate thing. Oh, yeah. Whatever wind-related thing, which probably didn't happen at the Super Bowl. No, I guess not. Um. Let's see, Washington, you have to click to find out what theirs is. I don't want to. I don't want to scroll around and find it. Um, and the main thing for the Cowboys both times is Horsegate. Horsegate? Uh, former Cowboys defensive line lineman Tony Casillas says that when the team was winning Super Bowls, 
Players frequently use the medication meant for horses. <laughs> Cheaters. Uh, the victim is considered the entire league. There wasn't punishment. Um, what was the one that... It's, uh, a, it's a fun site. I yeah. think it's sort of tongue-in-cheek. Oh, sure. Uh, but it's really fun, and it's worth te- checking out. Yourteamcheats.com. What were you going to say? Uh, what was it? Weren't someone, antlers. Deer antlers or something. Someone was using the one year to heal faster or something. That sounds like horse medication. Last year for the Patriots, they list them down for formation gate. So they oh. probably have, they probably have two, the balls and the thing with Baltimore where they're bringing the guys in and out. The Seahawks PD gates is listed as number one. I don't know. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Anything else? I think we covered it. <laughs> <laughs> 